Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, since we're talking about camp stories, we're recommending the horror section at Audible. There's nothing better than scary stories at camp, so relive the magic with a book by Stephen King, Dean Koontz, or Edgar Allan Poe, as well as many other authors of the horror genre, any of which could be downloaded for free when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Get your 30-day free trial and a free book when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. We have a special show for you today. As school begins, we thought we would relive summer for just one more day. This is episode number 24, our summer camp special. You'll hear three camp stories today, all of which we think you'll enjoy. Our first story comes to you from Trevor Harrison, who is currently the lead pastor at Rapid City FCC in Rapid City, South Dakota. Rocky spoke with Trevor to get him to retell this story from their days doing camp together in Texas. So, uh, okay, so you, 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 you've been a youth minister for like 20 years. Getting up there, yeah. yeah. And um, you've done a lot of camp. A lot of camps. So, you know, we, we want to tell some camp stories, and I, I hear that you have one. We, well, we experienced a pretty good camp story together. Uh, That's true. And uh, this was uh, at Tanglewood Christian Camp, I guess was the name yeah. of it. And, uh, Tanglewood. Somewhere in the middle of Texas. Yep. And uh, yeah. Like southeast Texas, almost. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, you drove. I, I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we did. I did camp there a few years, um, and uh, it was you know it was it was a different camp experience than I really had ever been to. Um, I'd always been to some larger ones, or when I was actually in high school. So. Uh, some really large, almost CIY size camps and conference, almost kind of things in the past. A conference style camp. Yeah. yeah. So this was a this was a little a little smaller and um, a lot of good kids at it though. Maybe you know I still interact with some of those kids at that that week. Um, actually, I went to Europe with one a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, we had we had a week of camp where we had uh, one of our big evening activities planned. Uh, was a, a, a snowball fight in the middle of Texas in the middle of the summer. Right. And uh, you, you had purchased, I think, some Yuck Yuck was the brand name of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, this kind of snow, fake snow stuff. And there's different styles of it and different textures and for whatever different types of snow you wanted. But uh, we during, I think it was during the evening session, you had either a camp team or you had some volunteers, uh, some camp sponsors out in the field with a large, big blue tarp, uh, just making uh, uh, trash can full of, of this yuck yuck snow, just making a huge pile of snow. And and they, yeah, I mean, like it was, I mean, not like a normal sized tarp, but like an acre of tarp. It was yeah. a lot of tarp. It was one of those. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a. It was like what you might you know use when you're uh, paving a, 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 a like a. a Parking lot or something, just really large piece of tarp, um, and they had they, they had made a pretty good sized pile of it. I mean, it was four feet high at least, and maybe about mm. six feet round. And they were just still starting. 
the mm-hmm. process of, of that. And we were off in our evening session doing worship. Um, someone was speaking. I don't remember who was speaking that year. And, and it started to rain on us. Um, and it, it was like a flash flood rain that just flooded the, the whole campground. Uh, everywhere in the camp was just flooded. And uh, so we were kind of panicking a little bit as to what to do with our time. Uh, because it was raining so hard, we thought, well, we'll just delay a little bit. We'll get the band to play a couple more songs. And during the delay, we'll we'll send kids back to their dorm to change and get ready for the snowball fight. Because surely the, the rain's going to, you know, dissipate at some point. Right. And uh, and it rained. We kept those, that band, that poor band, they played for a good hour and a half. Yeah, and it for just, sure. It just rained super hard. So we kept I was I was sending kids outside to rebuke the rain. I remember this. <laughs> you were, you were, yes. <laughs> I was like, go outside and rebuke the rain, like in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it was coming down so hard and so fast, and we had uh, it, we were worried that it was flooding the the dorms. So oh, yeah, we had a golf cart that the camp owned that they let us use. And uh, I would, I was like driving around to the dorms and making sure that they weren't flooding. Because if we were going to send kids back to them, we needed to make sure that they were safe. And uh, and so I'm driving through, you know, through the campgrounds. And part of it was wooded, um, and part of it was kind of open field. And there was there were some uh, some paths, but they were they were all several inches deep of water. And uh, we're we're just driving around. We're grabbing clothes off of the. Uh, off the clotheslines. I mean, everything that kids had was soaked, just soaked. Yeah. We're throwing it into the shower areas, and we—I remember—we brought the um, the evening snack back to the the main auditorium, the main barn area, where the kids did worship, and we did snack over there. And uh, as and just in that process of keeping track of where the camp was, uh, me and a couple—I think a couple of volunteers or camp camp team, church camp or college camp teams. We drove by the, the big tarp out in the field, which everyone had given up on it by, at that point. They were like, just abandon ship, leave that out there. And we thought, well, let's go take a look and see how that's doing because that yuck yuck just expands with water. Yeah. And so we thought, well, it was already four by six yeah. feet. Let's go see where it was. And that thing had turned into like the blob. It was like, it was a good six feet high. It was, it was just spreading out over this massive tarp. And uh, we thought, well, let's drive up to it and see what the consistency of it was. So I drove the, the golf cart up onto the cart, or up onto that tarp, to just go see, you know, was it good, mushy yuck-yuck? Was it good snow, or was it just like, you know, nothing that we could use? And uh, as we went to go <laughs> break, because we had like three kids on a, three big guys on a golf cart, and we, as I went to break, the golf cart just slid <laughs> along the tarp. And we all like took a deep breath because we thought it was going to topple over. And then we all just stared at one another and we're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to be great. So we, <laughs> along with just the wet, wetness of the tarp, that yuck yuck had made it super slick and made it just like a giant slip and slide that we were driving the cart, the golf cart on. And I'm like doing like figure eights and I'm like, you know, I'm just kind of fishtailing this golf cart everywhere. And these, these you know, full-grown adult college student kids are hanging on the back of the golf cart, uh, riding it like it was a, a speedboat, 
just water skiing along this this tarp and this yuck yuck and this water and and uh, we we did that for <laughs> I don't know what you thought we were doing the band's just playing you know I can sing of his love forever for the 129th time <laughs> and and we're out there playing in this in this you know torrential downpour and uh, we ended, <laughs> I remember the next year they they had to cut the uh, the roof off of the golf cart. Because we had bent it as those guys were surfing behind the golf cart. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so we, we uh, finally we headed back towards you know where you were at with all the kids and and uh, we had said hey there's you know it's the whole camp's flooded but the dorms were secure and we just we found a small lull in the rain and I think it was like eight thirty eight nine o'clock and you just decided as as the dean that week you decided let's just send everyone to bed. And uh, so we had kids just hightail it through the rain back to their dorms, and uh, and they went straight to bed. And uh, it was we as all the adults we were like, okay, this is going to be we're going to need to rethink our schedule here. So we went back to like the dining hall area, and uh, pretty much just about the time we sat down to have kind of an evening debrief, the rain lets up, <laughs> and we thought, well. You know, we started telling the story of, of water skiing on the on the tarp. So we all went out there, and as just adults at like ten o'clock at night, we're, we had the largest, slickest wet uh, uh, slip and slide in in the history that I've ever been on. It was awesome, and it was so wide that you never like fell off the tarp. Mm-hmm. We just slipped and slide all, all across that thing um, that night. <laughs> we le- we didn't we didn't get the kids out of bed. We just left them in bed, and uh, and just had a great uh, y- you know youth leader time. Uh, and it, that y- yuck yuck and that tarp lasted for another day and a half. It was so kids you know that turned into one of our best activities the next day for kids as they were all slipping and sliding on that thing. And um, but it, somewhere I, somewhere in that night, I think it was that night um, we had. Uh, because we had some extra time, we were, we were in the the dining room area and telling kind of ghost stories and telling some uh, uh, supernatural kind of stories. You have some of the, the greatest stories I, I I know, and I laugh at them every time I hear them. And uh, camp ghost story, you have to tell ghost stories at camp. Yeah, That's you just have the way it is. Yeah, so you know we're all kind of just kind of on high supernatural alert, and uh, finally we all start to head to bed. And I think I was the only youth pastor who brought an alarm clock that week. Um, so I was the official timekeeper of the camp. But for some reason, I had the alarm clock in the main uh, auditorium where we did our worship services and um, that evening. So I had to drive back to the to the uh, the barn area, grab the alarm clock while everyone else went off to bed. And uh, part of that rainstorm had knocked out. A, I think that's that's right. It knocked out a lot of our power. Yeah. So uh, maybe that was it. I had the only battery powered one or something like that, but. Um, so I had to go back for the alarm clock and, and, uh, I drove, I mean, it was just, I drove the golf cart over there and on the way back, I'm driving this golf cart and, uh, just on high supernatural alert, you know, I mean, we're praying. What did you just say you're scared? What's that? Why don't you just say you're scared? Like oh. you heard a bunch of ghost stories and now you're scared. Yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you say it. I was on high ghost alert. <laughs> I'm not scared. I'm on a high ghost alert. Well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't like scared of the dark or anything. I knew where I was, but as I'm heading back to drop off the golf cart and finally go to bed, 
the, again, the, the, the main grounds in the center of the camp still had a lot of trees in them and, and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't dense, but it was slightly, you know, uh, there's, there was a, some good amount of trees in there and someone had left a hanging plastic, like trash bag from a tree. And I'm driving up on this thing and all I can see in the, in the pitch dark, as I'm approaching, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. Is this white thing hanging in the middle of, just kind of hovering creepily in the middle of the forest? And I drive up on this thing so slowly, my heart was pounding and exploding. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember every Bible verse I know about, you know, calling on the name of Jesus. And I drive up on, I'm like, oh, stupid trash bag, uh, scared me to death. Um, so that, that, that's tops. One of my just favorite moments from camp experiences. Love those. I love those days, man. It was, it was such a good, it was such a good week. And actually we, uh, we ended up just having a quote unquote, just like huge party while you were out, um, destroying the golf cart. (laughs) So I still get, I still get kids. Uh, you know, all those kids are like 30 years old now. They are. I still get uh, kids talking about that week at camp. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, oh, it was the, the best week ever. And as dean, like everything went wrong. Just <laughs> everything went wrong. So, I mean, it it rained like Texas summer storms are the worst, like because they're just so fast and furious and there's hail and there's always tornado risk and power is always going out. And so you're just like, I don't know what to do. And uh, but like. That's. I think that that's like the great thing when you're, especially when you're in youth ministry, it's just like you're so flexible, you know, and it's just like this is what we got, so we've got to make the best of it. it that's so true because, honestly, I, I've thought about that story so many times as I've been, you know, dean of camp or somehow in the organization, you know, organizing of a camp week that I, I can't even remember what the theme was for that year. Um, yeah. What the messages were, who spoke. I don't even remember really. I kind of remember who the band was because we had the same band for several years in a row. But um, I, I don't really remember much from that week at camp except the experiences and and the things that kind of went off the rails and just going, okay, you know what? You lay your best laid plans down and and let God take over. And, and as long as you're in the moment with kids, um, I think they recognize those moments to so sit there and say, okay, these people care. They love God themselves, and uh, and they're not going to get so stressed when things don't work out the way that they expected it to. I, I think those do those are those are almost better ministry moments. For sure, man. For yeah. sure. Well, that's a good story, man. Oh, good. That's a great story, and uh, it's brought back a lot of great memories from that time in my life. Yeah, those are those are good days. It was it was fun doing ministry with you, and. Uh, uh, there's we, a lot. we were like uh, we were like Lucy and Ethel, man. <laughs> Just like shenanigans. Uh, we, there's stupid stuff that uh, usually I see, I felt like I was the one who was creating it. I'm your I'm the Lucy to your. You're Ethel. definitely the Lucy, and I'm definitely the cleanup crew. <laughs> definitely the cleanup crew. Yeah, uh, we only destroyed one toilet, so that's good. That's yes. good <laughs> because you flushed the liver down it. Uh, the liver down it. Yes, mm. I'll never live that one up. I've yeah, uh, never. That's my go-to. Uh, Question anytime I'm ever, yeah, like in a job interview or something where people are like, what's the biggest mistake you've made in ministry? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's easy to, it's easy to say I threw a liver down the uh, a toilet and destroyed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us today. 
Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you. Our next piece is from myself. I've been to camp a lot. I've been to camp as a student, as a recruiter while I was in college, as an adult sponsor, a youth minister. I've been along for the ride. I've planned camps. I've done summer camp like you wouldn't believe. And I've seen some things. Ooh, I have seen some things. But of all the stories I would tell you about camp, among the most important is probably the camping trip I took as a junior high student with my church youth group. When I was in junior high, one summer, our youth group did a camping retreat at Huntsville State Park. This wasn't the typical type of camp experience that you would associate with, you know, youth ministry, especially not youth ministry today. This was a camp in a tent camping. By all accounts, the trip was your run-of-the-mill youth event. We played flag football. I remember being at the age where I noticed girls. There was a game of flashlight tag one night uh, that ended with a student running face first into a tree and knocking himself unconscious. There were probably some Bible lessons, you know, just youth group stuff. I imagine for many of the kids, this trip has not left a 20-year impression. Even the kid who ran into a tree, or maybe especially the kid who ran into a tree, it's very unlikely that this experience stands out to them, probably blends into the overall youth experience. There were certainly bigger trips, fancier camps, more exciting activities. I certainly remember those things from youth group. But this camping trip has stuck with me and stuck out to me all of these years for a reason. Like most junior high kids, I was trying to find my way. It's a hard time, junior high. You start out as an elementary school student, you end as a high school student. It's three years of nonstop transition. And for whatever reason, junior high also involved being bullied. It was kind of a tough time. Being in junior high also meant I was new to the youth group. Although my fifth grade class was pretty big, so we all kind of moved up together. But that still meant that all of a sudden, in the youth room, there were a whole lot of kids who were a whole lot older than me that I didn't know at all. They seemed cooler than me. They seemed more mature than me. They went to different schools than I did. And the thing about being in junior high and, and being put in that new situation is that navigating all of those new relationships can be a little perilous. Making yourself the youth group pariah is not a good way to enhance your youth ministry experience. So, on that camping trip, among all of the flag football, the trying not to be embarrassed around girls, the avoiding of running headlong into nature, I was also trying to fit in. It wasn't a conscious strategy. I didn't start at the beginning of this camp thinking, okay, this trip I'm going to win friends and influence people. It was the natural extension of being a new kid among new kids. The degree to which I was successful at this, and the reason for which this trip stands out in my memory, can be summed up in the words my friend Josh said to me. It was either lunch or dinner, 
I remember sitting at a table in response to some kind of joke or weird thing I was doing. Terrence to me and says, are you like this all the time? Because I hang out with you at school. I sit with you at lunch and stuff. I don't care what anyone would say. Josh was a year older than me. He was an entire order of magnitude cooler than I was. And he apparently wanted to be my friend. It was the sweet moment. And I remember wishing so hard that Josh did go to my school. And even though he didn't, we found a way to be friends, obviously. And this moment solidified my commitment to youth group. This was a place where I had friends who liked me so much so that they would tell me. (laughs) A place where we would not only just do fun things, but someone could look at me and say, I want to be friends with you no matter what anyone would say. It's a moment that stuck with me long past my time in youth ministry and shaped the way I approach not just youth programming, but all church programming. The lesson I learned on this trip is a lesson that is true in all ministry contexts. Relationships are what bind us together. I've never forgotten the words my friends said to me on that trip. First, because they made me feel loved and like I belong, but also because they highlighted a truth about the world that's been relevant to every ministry and vocation I've ever had. Relationships bind us together. And this is today's final piece by Rocky Hernandez. The chapel at camp was filling with hundreds of excited teens. I say chapel, it was actually a giant barn-sized metal building. Not pretty, not romantic like you might expect a chapel in the woods to be. More functional and rusty. But the inside was well air-conditioned and that alone made it an excellent place to be in the middle of the summer. The foam insulation on the ceiling had been painted black and equipped with stage lights, a sound system, and a projector. Actually, it was so well done that on days when it wasn't raining, you might forget where you were and think it was a large auditorium rather than a metal barn in the middle of the piney woods of southeast Texas. Worship was just beginning, and the students were singing waves of mercy, waves of grace, making wave motions in front of their chest, first with their left hand and then with their right. Just the 200 students alone would be loud, But you add to that a full rock band blaring through the sound system that's cranked to 11 in this cavernous metal building, and you can actually hear the worship happening for half a mile. I love watching students worship. I love seeing them and hearing them sing songs to the Lord. I love watching the hand motions. I love watching them dance and laugh. It's actually the greatest thing in the world to me. So I was in the back of the chapel watching with joy when suddenly I got a stomach ache, stomach cramps. Now struggling with lactose intolerance, naturally I assumed that I was having to deal with some normal stomach ailments caused by the fact that I decided it would be okay to eat an ice cream sandwich at dinner. Because I'm not comfortable with having those sorts of troubles in public restrooms, I decide to run to my private restroom in the Dean's cabin. If I was quick about it, nobody would even notice that I was gone. So I ran out of the chapel, 
and I begin my trek to the other side of the camp, hoping that I can make it to the cabin before my ice cream sandwich makes a reappearance. As I'm getting to the end of the trail, I see three adults standing in the distance. They're just standing there. I have no idea what's going on. As I approach, I notice that they're standing over a young man. It looks like they're cross-examining him. Hey, what's going on? They turn around, look at me and say, Oh, we're sorry, Rocky. We're having problems with this student. He just doesn't want to go to chapel. The young man looks furious as he sits crisscross in the sandy dirt. Now, the difficult part as Dean is that we have this rule. Rule number one, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I admit it's not the most convenient rule, but we do this so we can keep an eye on all the students and give adult sponsors a chance to make sure that their kids are safe and having a good time. As Dean, naturally, I have to enforce this rule. The youth leaders were obviously well past the point of being productive. I could tell that they were just mad. They were just wanting to control this young man's behavior. And I get it. At some point, all adults, we get to this, this place when we're working with kids. The point where it's no longer about helping a student grow it's about getting them to do what you want them to do. I've learned that whenever you get to this point, you should always tag out. And if you're able, ask someone else to step in. At very least, you should walk away and regroup. So as an act of mercy, I dismiss his leaders and I send them to worship with the promise that I would look after their very angry student, which I can do because I'm the camp dean. I sit next to the student in the sand. He's big. I can tell he's taller than me, even though we're sitting down. He's probably 17, 18 years old. That awkward stage where you have the body of an adult, but you're still very much a teenager. I try and be sympathetic. I ask him questions. I try and listen, give him a chance to express himself, but he's so angry and nothing he's saying is making any sense. His attitude was pure defiance. I can hear the worship happening in the background. The songs are still upbeat, so maybe it hasn't been that long. It felt longer as we sat sweating in the sand, but in actuality, maybe it had only been five minutes. I call it the ministry of presence, when you just sit there quietly, not saying anything. Sometimes being quiet, being there with someone is enough. So in my head, I start praying, Lord, how do I help him? He's so hurt. It's obvious he's so angry. And something seems strange here. Father, this feels different than just teenage angst. What should I do? It's quiet now. The music from the chapel has become slow. That means that they're getting ready to hear the message tonight. I should be in the evening session and not out here sitting in the dirt. My thoughts are shooting back and forth between the student and what's happening in the chapel. Just be quiet, Rocky. Just be present. 
quiet your mind. It's silent. And I get the sense that the Lord wants me to pray with him, not just pray for him as I had been doing. I have to be honest, I'm not comfortable with this idea. Obviously, this kid wants to be left alone. So I just try and shrug it off and continue praying for him. But what started out as a quiet inclination becomes this urgent need to pray. So I say to him, hey man, I know this sounds weird, but I really feel like God wants me to pray with you. I mean, not just for you. I mean, I think he really wants me to pray with you. So why don't you tell me what's going on and what I need to be praying for you about? Immediately he hops up from the ground and he's defensive. He says, you're not going to pray for me. That's not going to happen. Feeling a little intimidated, I stand up. Well, I've already been praying for you. You Look, you don't have to say anything. I know this is weird. I can just pray here out loud for you, and it'll be fine. I'm just going to start praying, okay? He shoves me hard. I stumble back, dumbfounded. I can't believe this is happening. He says he doesn't care what the Lord wants me to do, that I'm not going to pray for him. I have to be honest. At this point, I'm, I'm a little furious. And honestly, I'm a little scared. My heart is pounding, and I have this mini debate. Do I let it go and send him home for his defiance and physical aggression? Or do I suck it up and pray out loud in obedience? I take a deep breath, and I just start praying. Father God, I lift this student up to you. He screams at me. Shut up. Shut up. Lord, I don't know what's happening in his life, but I know you can give him peace. He shoves me again. Shut up. Shut up. So I just start praying louder. Help him to know that he's loved and that he's safe. And then it happens. He punches me. He punches me hard in the gut. He knocks the wind out of me. And I kill over. But I keep praying. And then he takes off running into the woods. This is terrible. Why didn't he just stay on a trail? Why did he have to dart off into the woods? You see, normally in southeast Texas, you have to watch out for copperheads. We've already killed about three, and it's only the first day of camp. The snakes are bad enough. But this year, This year of all years, there's been a pack of wild boars that has been spotted around the camp at night. I'll take snakes any day over a wild boar. The wild boars are vicious, they're aggressive, they have sharp tusks, and they will attack you. (sighs) So I follow him into the woods, and I continue to pray. And then all these things are going through my mind. I'm wondering, is he on drugs? Oh, I hope he's safe. Why is he behaving this way? Is he having a psychotic episode? He really needs help. Father, I don't know what to do. And I think about the snakes, about the copperhead epidemic that we've been having at camp. And he's running through the woods and I can feel the vines getting caught in my legs and cutting me. And I know he's probably getting cut too. I'm trying to track him down. And then 
this thought pops into my head. What if he's possessed? I'm going to have to restrain him. Regardless of what's going on, I'm going to have to restrain him. But how can I restrain him and get him to the nurse's cabin? All the adults are in the chapel. I can't stop following him. I may never be able to find him if I lose him in the woods. He's running. Am I running? I don't think that I'm running. How am I able to keep up with him? And then I notice the silence. I can no longer hear music coming from the chapel. And that means one of two things. Either chapel is over or we've gone so far into the woods that we can't hear it anymore. By some miracle, he circles back into the campground. There's still a thousand things going through my mind. What if he's hurt? How can I help him? How am I keeping up with him? It's getting dark. What about wild pigs? What if he gets attacked by wild pigs? Father, please help me know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. And he's back in the main area of the camp where all the gazebos are. I'm catching up to him. I'm praying more diligently. I don't know what else to do, honestly, except to pray. He's in the gazebo, and he's about to run out of the back, back into the woods. I can't let him do this because it's dark, and it's dangerous, and he's not sane right now. If I let him go, he's going to get seriously injured. I can't lose him. And as he's about to jump over the bench and head back into the woods, I lunge toward him. I tackle him on the ground. He's punching me in the ribs. I keep praying out loud, Father, free him from his anger. Help him to have peace. Help us to know how to help him. And as I continue to pray, he keeps hitting me. So I just keep praying louder. And then suddenly he lets out this huge groan and begins sobbing. He's sobbing. So I pick him up off the ground and I set him on the bench next to me. I can hear the music again. It's quiet. The students are singing in the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness you are there. I put my arm around him. I have nothing to say. So I just sit with him. He buries his head into my shoulder. We sit there, crying together. And that's it for today. Today's episode was produced by Tim Jenkins. That's me. Special thanks to a lot of people that made today's episode happen. First, thank you, Trevor Harrison, for sharing your story. Also, this show wouldn't have happened without the community of people who share music and sounds for use in programs like this. Thank you to Ben Sound. You can find his great music at bensound.com. 
Thank you to the YouTube channel Free to Use Sounds, who record the world for people to use in productions. Thank you to Mattestar.com, M-A-T-T-E-S-A-R.com, who also makes great music for use of productions, royalty-free. We want to thank Audible.com for sponsoring the show. Get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. The Productive Ministry Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. You can also find us on the web at ProductiveMinistry.org, which is also home of our extended show notes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask that you please rate and subscribe. This really does help us. We've had a number of five-star ratings over on iTunes, and that's been great, so keep them coming. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook, where we're most active, at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. That's facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. I know it's a little confusing with the .org at the end, but that's, that's the link. Follow us on Twitter at Prod Ministry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag Productive Ministry, and we'll thank you on next week's show. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week.